This message by Mike Pluniak was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Well, good morning. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand and an usher will bring you a Bible, which is yours to keep. It's going to be helpful to have the Word of God in front of you this morning. After several week break, we are back in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, Life in the Kingdom. This morning we're in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. We're going to read down through verse 37. Matthew Chapter 5, verse 27. This is what God's Word says to us today. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord which you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil." This is God's Word, which is holy, inerrant, totally sufficient, and massively potent. May He write it upon our hearts today. This year, author Mark Jones wrote a book called Knowing Sin. Upon first glance, I thought... No thanks, not exactly the most eye-catching title, Knowing Sin, seemed a little dark and not the most encouraging book to read at the time. I thought, maybe I'll reread Gentle and Lowly. You know, that sounds a little more encouraging. In his introduction, Jones admits it's not going to be a bestseller. He says, perhaps only the most introspective And morbid souls would venture to read a book on sin. I thought that that's exactly what I was thinking. Read my mind. But upon second glance, 
What caught me was the subtitle of the book, Seeing a Neglected Doctrine Through the Eyes of the Puritans. And that kind of struck me. And what caught me was not that it was a book about the Puritans, which I love, but the word neglected. And I thought about that and I, I agreed with that. I thought the doctrine of sin is a neglected doctrine. And I believe there are serious consequences when we fail to call sin, sin. Or if we misunderstand the nature of sin. When we misdiagnose the disease, we often get the wrong cure. And one of the tools God has given us to understand both His holiness and our sinfulness is His law. And when we misunderstand and misinterpret His law, we can be deceived into thinking we're really not that bad. It's like the rich young ruler who can say to Jesus, yes, I've kept all God's laws. I'm basically a good person. And the Pharisees and the scribes were misinterpreting the law of God. They had many checklists and rules and pages and pages of teaching on the law, but it all missed the point. It missed the heart of the law. All their effort and all their work and all their rules was so that they could check the box and say, yes, I've done exactly what the law says. And the more details, the more rules they added, it was just so they could say, check, 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 I'm good, I'm okay. And Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount, and he doesn't respond to this by abolishing the law. He doesn't undo the law, but you, see, you can see back at verse 17 where he says, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The true meaning and intent and nature of the law, the purpose that God intended for, Jesus gets to the heart of the law. And we see this morning, he gets to our hearts as well. Because when we truly understand the nature and the character of God, and when we understand what God requires of us, and when we understand the depth and the power and the nature of our sin against God, I think it's then that we understand why Christ had to come and the depth to which he saves us from our sins. And we see the power of the gospel to transform our hearts, our very core, our very desires and thoughts. He can change us. That's what we see this morning. I think here's the main point I think the Lord wants us to capture from this text. Jesus wants to change us in the deepest part of who we are, our hearts. He wants to get to our hearts. He doesn't want us to just check boxes and think, yeah, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm, I'm doing all right. He wants to get to our hearts. And to understand the depth of change, he shows us the depth of the problem. So point number one this morning from our text is the depth of sin. We see this in verses 27 through 28. Look again down at your text. He says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In this section of Jesus' sermon, he has this same pattern where he begins a new section by saying, you have heard that it was said. He does this in verse 27, in verse 31, in verse 33. And he quotes a section of law from the Old Testament or a teaching of the Pharisees. And in each one of these examples, the Pharisees and scribes are misunderstanding and they're, they're misrepresenting the real point and depth of the law. He, that's what he's pointing out. They're missing the heart of it. In adultery, they miss lust. In, in giving certificates of divorce, they miss the, the nature and sanctity of a marriage. In taking oaths, they're missing the, the heart of having integrity, of just being a truthful person. They miss the forest for the trees. They miss the spirit of the law. They made the law very shallow. It was an inch deep and a mile wide. And since the law was so shallow, they could claim to be righteous according to the shallow law. They hadn't committed adultery. They hadn't murdered anyone. And when the law is just an inch deep, it's easy to not get wet. It's easy to think that you're righteous and moral, but Jesus knows the truth of what's in our hearts. And he gets to the real intent of the law. That's why you'll read right later on in Matthew. Why he condemns the Pharisees for cleaning the outside of the cup when the inside of the cup is filthy. He calls them whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful outwardly but inside are full of dead bodies. He says you appear right and you appear good but I know your hearts. And he doesn't want his disciples to think that life in the kingdom is about this outward performance. It's just this outward obedience. Jesus is concerned about our hearts. That's why he says in verse 20 that your righteousness has to exceed the Pharisees and the scribes. Because their righteousness was just a show. It was shallow. It was just on the exterior. Our righteousness has to be inside of us. Yes, they might not have committed adultery. But Jesus says in verse 28, Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I, this is a radical I mean, that, that sentence, verse 28, is a radical teaching in our culture today. I don't think I have to say much to convince you we have a problem with lust. I, I read recent stats from Covenant Eyes. 90% of teens, 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about pornography. A majority of teens and young adults aged 13 to 24 believe not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. I think it's, we can just say we don't see this as a problem. It's actually just the opposite in our culture. It's being seen as, as normal and inevitable and even healthy. Jesus shows us that it is deadly serious. And this is a heart problem. 
It is a heart problem. It's inside of each one of us. That's what he says in verse 28. This is in his heart, which means the problem resides in each one of us. And this is a, a a massively important biblical concept that Jesus wants his disciples to understand. It's not just about the external. It's about what's inside of us. It's about our hearts. Biblically, the heart is who you really are. You can't understand yourself if you don't understand your heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it's, it's describing the, the inner self. It's describing who you really are, the inner person. It's talking about our spirit, our soul, our mind, our emotions, our will, our affections, our desires. The Bible says all of these come from the heart. The heart is the real you. You, you can make people think, this is who I really am. But the heart is who you really are. It's the core of who you are. The Bible says the heart is the wellspring of life. It's, it's constantly bubbling up. Everything we want, everything we desire flows from our hearts. Everything we think, everything we do, all of our fears and anger and anxiety and love and joy and despair and desires, it's all flowing out of the spring of our hearts. And our hearts and my heart has been infected with sin. This is what Jesus wants them to see. That's why we lust. It's why we get angry. It's why we get anxious. It's why we lie. It's why we covet and envy because our hearts are sinful. We have a disease. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 7. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Which means it's not out there, but it's in here that is the problem. I don't know if, if anyone here has ever stirred up a wasp nest. When I was in middle school, I was playing wiffle ball with my older brother who's four years older than me, and my brother hit a wiffle ball onto the roof of our house. And being the good older brother that he was, he told me to shimmy up the pole and go get the wiffle ball. And he gave me a push, and up the pole I went, and I was on the roof of our house getting the wiffle ball when somehow I either stepped on or stepped near a wasp nest and, and out of nowhere, it just boom, boom, felt like bullets hitting me. I mean, wasps were everywhere. I don't remember what I thought in that moment. I was on the roof of a house and uh, I just remember screaming and running. And amazingly, at the roof of our house, I could have run in one of two directions. One direction was a downhill concrete driveway and the other direction was our yard. And I don't remember being strategic at all. I just remember running for my life. And my brother and sister heard me screaming and looked up and heard footsteps above. And they were kind of going back and forth like, which way is he jumping? Because that way is the hospital. That way probably isn't. And amazingly, I jumped onto the grass and I didn't break my legs. But I, I was just agitating. It was just getting near that wasp nest. And wasps came flying out of everything. 
That's how the Bible describes the heart. It's like a wasp nest. I mean, it's just ready to go. It's just filled in Mark 7 with all these desires and the sensuality and this deceit. It is a wasp nest. The heart is the problem. It just takes a little temptation, a little agitation, and we see what comes out of our hearts. It's a wasp nest. Do you see your heart as the problem? Because if my heart is the source of my sin problem, then, then my heart needs to change. It's not enough to alter my behavior. It's not enough to change my circumstances. Christ transforms people by radically changing their hearts. And this text resonated with me because before I was born again, I thought like the Pharisees. That was my view of sin. I thought I was basically good. I thought, you know, I go to church, uh, I'm polite, I wasn't as bad as others. I'm basically a good person. Listen, if you think you are okay, if you think I can just go through the motions and I can just check the boxes, Jesus wants you to see the depth of sin in your heart. That's what the law shows us. That's the true intent of the law. It shows us there's a problem within me. We see the depth of sin. Number two, we see the consequences of sin in verses 29 through 30. Look down at our text once again in verse 29, where Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is quite a startling command by Jesus. Tearing out your eye, cutting off your hand. A few Christians in the early church whose zeal obviously exceeded their wisdom, actually took Jesus's command literally. The most famous probably being Origen of Alexandria. He went to the extremes of asceticism. He, he renounced possessions and food. He even renounced sleep for a season that didn't go too well for him. And in an over-literal interpretation of this passage, actually made himself a eunuch. Clearly, let me just be clear. Clearly, Jesus is using hyperbole here. Let me say that again. This is hyperbole. It's an intentional overstatement to make a point. And the point Jesus is making is to show the seriousness of sin and the consequences of neglecting the reality of sin in our hearts. He wants us to take sin in our hearts seriously. And Jesus here is speaking about mortification, not mutilation. To mortify means to put sin to death, to kill it. His point is, put lust to death. Don't think you are okay because you haven't committed adultery and therefore you are innocent. There is work to do in our hearts mortify sin, kill it, put it to death, take it seriously. Colossians 3, 5. This is what it says. It's the same word, mortify. Put to death, therefore, 
whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That is what Jesus is concerned about in his disciples. He's concerned about their soul. He's concerned they don't see this. He's concerned they're listening to the Pharisees and the scribes and they're checking the box and they're thinking everything is okay. I'm doing just fine. When all these things are coming out of their hearts and on, and on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He's concerned about their souls. It's why he says this twice. It's better that you lose one of the members of your body than that your whole body be thrown into hell. He is concerned for their souls and he uses hyperbole to wake us up to get our attention, to, to grab our imagination and say, this is serious. You must do something about this. Take this seriously. Sometimes we have to be shaken awake, you know, to, to think about your soul. Don't neglect your soul. Don't be complacent towards sin. Sin is not your friend. It is your enemy. Wake up, he's saying. And so tragic to see people neglect their souls and it's it's doubly tragic to me to see someone who thinks their soul is okay because they check some box or go to church or do something nice and they don't address the reality of sin in their lives it is tragic and what's not hyperbole is the reality of hell. Because Jesus talks about it many, many times in the Gospels. God and sin are incompatible, which is why sin leads to hell. This is the effect of sin. Sin is not your friend, it is your enemy. The Puritan John Owen famously said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And he wrote a whole Thesis on the mortification of sin, putting it to death. Remember the Beatitudes where Jesus kind of set out his, his goal for the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And now he's laying this out. How do I get there? How do I mourn over my sin? How do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, you see the depth of the law, the intent of the law. You see what is meant by this. The purity and the holiness that God requires our of us. Mourn your sin. Fight your sin. This is Reformation Sunday where the church celebrates the anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation as Luther nailed the 95 theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517. And what Luther was concerned about as he put these 95 points about indulgences on the church door is similar to what's going on here with the Pharisees. Luther was concerned about the way the church was dealing with the problem of humanity's sinfulness. He saw the wickedness. He saw the evil. And the Roman Catholic Church taught that you could rack up enough merits to undo sin. 
And they created the scheme of selling indulgences or pardons for sin by making donations. Basically saying that repentance could be bought. And Luther said no. That, that certainly cannot be the solution for our sins. And just his first three points, the first three points of 95, he nailed on the door. These, these are just the first three. Luther said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. This word cannot be understood as referring to the sacrament of penance. That is confession and satisfaction as administered by the priests. Yet it does not solely, does not mean solely inner repentance. Such inner repentance is worthless unless it produces various outward mortification of the flesh. He said you just can't drop your money in and free a soul. And he, he was concerned about repentance. He was concerned that the way they were dealing with sin was missing the point. That repentance includes confessing sin and turning from sin and putting sin to death, mortifying it. The problem that the Pharisees didn't see the problem. They thought they were okay and so they weren't fighting their sin and they were blindly facing eternal consequences because of their misunderstanding of the doctrine of sin. They didn't see the depth of sin. They didn't see the consequences of sin. And point number three, we see the deception of sin. How these laws and rules they were creating, adding to the law, can actually deceive us into think we're doing good and we're good before God when we are not. And he has two sections here. In, in his second section of our text, it's the same pattern and the same misunderstanding and misapplication. Look down at verse 31, where he says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So, so this is what's going on here. There was this debate among the scribes and Pharisees about reasons for divorce. And where they were landing was that a husband could divorce his wife for any reason as long as he gave her a certificate of divorce. And you can see this is just a shallow application of the law. That's, they said that is how you obey the law, by making sure you give a certificate. Moses said, give a certificate of divorce. As long as you give a certificate, you're obeying the law. If you fail to give a certificate, you're not obeying the law. They're missing the whole point of marriage. That God's original intent was that marriage should be a permanent union of a man and a woman as one flesh. And you will find this principle running throughout Scripture. That's why adultery is so serious because it breaks apart this one flesh union. So does unbiblical divorce. That's what he says in verse 32. You can't just try to divide with a certificate, something God has united together. And you can't think you're doing that and that you're obeying the law of God. You are deceived if you think that, that you can do that. Now what's happening is this, this shallow application of the law by the Pharisees actually is leading people 
into sin because they think I'm fine. I can just give this certificate. I can get divorced, but that's not really a biblical reason for divorce. And that's why it says in verse 32, you're leading your spouse, leading your wife to commit adultery because you can't just divide what God has put together. They're missing the point. They're misunderstanding the law. They're missing the heart behind it. And there's so much here. There's so much we could get into about the, the intent of marriage and and uh, guarding our marriages. There's so much here, and I really want to encourage you. The good news is we have a Cornerstone U next Sunday night, and the topic is the heart of the matter, which is what we're going after today, getting to the heart of marriage. Let me encourage you to go to that. Because the point in our text, I think, here in the Sermon on the Mount is their focus on misunderstanding the law and sin. But that night's going to walk through getting to our hearts in marriage. But they're misunderstanding. They're misrepresenting the law. And then again in verse 33, we see another misunderstanding of the law. Jesus, again in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. And here, he isn't quoting from the Ten Commandments. But it seems to be quoting from the scribes and the Pharisees' own laws. And I think this section can be confusing to us because we don't have this culture of taking oaths. You know, we might say, you know, I, I swear on my mother's grave. I, I'm not sure how enforceable that is in any court of law, you know, that we're, we're swearing by something. But here's what's happening here. They would take all these oaths to one another. But some oaths were binding and some were not. And it was very confusing. So if you swore an oath by the temple, it wasn't binding. But if you swore an oath by the gold in the temple, that was binding. I, I don't know why. If you swore an oath by the altar, it wasn't binding your oath. But if you swore an oath by the gift on the altar, then it was binding. Then you had to fulfill that oath. And they had a court just to decide, well, was this oath binding or was it not binding? You know, was this something that's connected to the name of God or was it not connected to the name of God? And Jesus' point is, you're missing the whole point. They're missing the heart of it, you know? It, it reminds me of parenting. Kids intentionally miss the point and the heart of what you're trying to say to them all the time. Kids are fighting one another and you'll go in there and you'll say, hey, keep your hands off each other. I don't want you to touch your brother. Seems pretty clear and you leave the room, you hear screaming, you come back in the room and he's sitting there sitting on his brother's head, you know. And you said, I thought I told you, don't touch him. I'm not touching him. My hands are right here. I didn't lay a single finger on him. I obeyed the law perfectly. You know, they all become little lawyers in that moment. That's what was happening here. It's, they missed the heart. That's what's happening in our text. They're missing the heart behind it. Jesus is telling them, just be a person of integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't deceive somebody by taking an oath by the temple, knowing it's not the, the gold in the temple, so you don't actually have to follow through on that oath because it's not binding anymore. And the problem was, they would actually use these oaths to harm one another, and they would think they were righteous before God. And they missed the depth of sin. A great example of this is, is Herod Antipas in Matthew 14. He's actually motivated by lust. 
And he takes this oath to Herodias' daughter saying, yeah, I take an oath. I will give you whatever you ask of me. And you remember what she asked for. She says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And it actually says in the text, because of his oath and his guest, he commanded for it to be done. Do you see how deceptive these laws are? It's so backwards. So to murder someone so you don't break an arbitrary oath, you took motivated by lust. Sin is deceptive. And that's what's happening. They create all these standards. They're missing the heart of it all. Jesus's point is you have to have integrity from the heart. Be a truthful person. Don't just say I didn't commit adultery. Don't lust. Do heart work. Don't just give a certificate of divorce and think you can divorce your spouse. God has united you together as one flesh. They're missing the heart of the law. And this is all about life in the kingdom. In Jesus' sermon, we see the depth of sin in our hearts, the consequences of sin for eternity, the deception of sin and missing the whole point of God's law. And it would be wrong if we concluded without thinking about the giver of the sermon. And what he was planning on doing to save us from our sins and to give us new hearts to fight our sins. He wants us to see the depth of the problem because he's going to change us to the depth of the problem. He's going to give us new hearts. And so in conclusion, I think where this leads us, the trajectory is we see this is what the law confronts inside of us. It confronts my heart. And it leads me to see the depth and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not teaching this so that they'll be introspective and morbid. That's not the point. That's not the goal of understanding the doctrine of sin. We don't understand the doctrine of sin so that we can endlessly investigate and, and be introspective and try to find every nook and cranny where it might be in our hearts. And, and there's this accusation that, that I've heard in the past and it still pokes up its head. You know, if we just think about sin and the depth and power of it, we're, we're going to be morbidly discouraged. You know, to focus on sin, this is negative. It's discouraging. It's condemning. Let's not talk about sin. Let's not use that word. Let's find a new word, you know. Let's, let's find some therapeutic language to describe what's going on. Let's not talk about this. The reason Jesus shows us our hearts is this is not an end in itself, but it leads us somewhere. It actually leads us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because we want to take 10 looks at the cross for every one look at our sin. I think that is true. 10 looks at the cross for every one look at our sin. But when we look at our sin, we want to see it for what it is. We want to see the depth of it. We want to see it in reality. Because I promise you, if you see it in reality, it only sweetens the cross to you. It only makes the cross more precious when you are confronted with lust. And you can't just say, I checked the box. I'm good. I checked the box. I went through the motions. No, you must see the depth of your sin because you will see the depth of what Jesus did to save you from your sins. J.C. Ryle says this. He says, ignorance 
of the real meaning of the law is one plain reason why so many do not value the gospel. And they content themselves with a little formal Christianity. I'm going to finish this quote, but I just want to pause right there. That was where I was. I had a little formal Christianity. I was deceived into thinking I was a Christian because I checked some boxes. I didn't understand the real meaning of the law and I didn't value the gospel. They do not see the strictness and holiness of God's Ten Commandments. And if they did, they would never rest till they were safe in Christ. And you see the depth of the problem when you see what Jesus is saying. This is life in the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. Your righteousness has to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. And you're confronted with your heart. Where do you go? What do you do if the problem is inside of me? Something has to change inside of me. And I can't get in there to change it. We see our need when we're confronted with the law, the meaning of the law. We are confronted with the depth and power of our sin. And we all of a sudden realize, I need a new heart. I need to be born again. I need the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to come and change me from the inside out. And what we see is as deep as sin goes, as powerful as sin is, Christ goes deeper and he is more powerful. Just keep reading Matthew. What you're going to find is the giver of this sermon. He knows. He knows the power and he knows the consequences of sin because he is going to experience them as he dies on the cross and bears our sinfulness and the wrath of God for our sins. He knows the depth and the power of sin. And God in his mercy sent us a savior. This is a sermon from our savior and it confronts us. It confronts our hearts. He's addressing the depth of their sin because he wants them to see their need for him. He wants them to understand that his death will mean forgiveness of these sins. And he wants them to see that life in the kingdom of God begins in our hearts. It begins with a new heart. It begins by being born again in Jesus Christ. And part of the new covenant, part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is that he promises us I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I'm going to put within you. And I'm going to write my law on your hearts. The true meaning of the law, the true intent of the law, the true depth of the law. You're going to have it written on your hearts and the Holy Spirit's going to be dwelling inside of you. A new life's going to be coming out of you. And no longer will you just say, oh, I just didn't do this one thing. But you're going to be in your heart loving God and desiring holiness and desiring purity from your heart heart and as new creations in Christ we can because we've been given new hearts if you've been born again this is life in the kingdom of God it starts from our hearts and we can fight lust and sinful desires and we can love the sanctity of what God does in marriage and we can fight against our sin and repent of it and be reconciled together and we can have strong marriages by the grace of God not because of outward obedience but because our hearts have been changed 
And we can have integrity and love our neighbors. We can be truthful and let our yes be yes and our no be no. And we don't have to deceive anymore. We don't have to lie anymore. Jesus says this is life in the kingdom of God. And it begins in our hearts. Don't be deceived into thinking by having a little formal Christianity that that's life in the kingdom. That's not life in the kingdom. Life in the kingdom comes from the heart. And he changes our hearts. Jesus wants to change us in the deepest part of who we are, our hearts. And that's what he does by his spirit and by his grace. And just this morning, listen, if you hear that, and you can relate to the Pharisee saying, I I think I could say I haven't done these things. I'm basically a good person. I think Jesus wants to give you a new heart today. He wants you to be confronted with the depth of sin, not to condemn you, but so that you will say, Jesus, forgive me. Give me a new heart today. He loves answering that prayer. Promise, there's hundreds here who can say, when they ask that prayer, change me, give me a new heart. He loves answering that prayer. And you can be born again this morning by turning from sins and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. He can give you a new heart today. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to pray for anyone here this morning who's grown complacent, who checks the boxes and thinks they're basically good. As they hear Jesus' words, as they're confronted with the Savior teaching them from this wonderful sermon we have in God's Word, I pray they would see their need for you today that they would turn from their sins, that they would cry out for a new heart and Holy Spirit that you would make them born again. Give them a new heart. I pray for everyone here this morning that you would give us fresh faith, fresh eyes to see, new hearts, that we would be filled by the Spirit of God today. And we would be able to fight our sin this week, that we would be able to live life in the kingdom from our hearts that are born again, filled with the Spirit. Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniak during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.